there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. This morning, I want to talk about a subject that is not dear to the hearts and minds of Americans. Well, it's dear to the hearts and minds of some Americans. In fact, it's too dear to the hearts and minds of some Americans, and it's not dear enough to the hearts and minds of other Americans. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? What? We're talking about something that has two opposite poles, like the pendulum swing. It's all this or it's all that. Isn't that interesting? Is there anything else like that? Yes, everything. I want to talk about possession, demonic possession. The idea of evil spirits, demons, devils has been around forever, though they have fallen on hard times these days with modern man, except in Hollywood. And, <laughs> well, in Hollywood, it's still a very popular subject. I remember in 1973, the film The Exorcist came out, and it was a big buzz. Oh, my gosh, everybody was going crazy about that. The religious people were going crazy, and they were boycotting, and other people were going to see it, and other people were, oh, and it was just like, it's glorifying the devil, it's giving, you know, on and on and on and on and on. And it's still giving people nightmares. People who watch it still get nightmares about it. Fear of the unknown is as powerful with modern man as it was with primitive man. There's really no difference. The only difference between modern man and primitive man is modern man has a driver's license and something to drive. And primitive man didn't really have a driver's license or something to drive. Misinformation is as dangerous as superstition, and the combo of Hollywood and Hollywood religions has them both covered perfectly. So we have misinformation from Hollywood, we have superstition from Hollywood religions. What are Hollywood religions? So you're living in the 21st century. You probably have a television, big flat screen TV or something, you know, where you get to see people who get on television and ask for money and talk about religion, do all kinds of crazy things, stunts, crazy things that you see them do. And, and it's like, that's Hollywood religion. That's what I'm talking about. Ancient legend, myth, and literature are full of references to evil spirits of all shapes, sizes, and activities. There are special spirits that do special things. The specialization spirits, like carpenter spirits that just work with wood, and, you know, and electrical spirits that just work with electricity. And there are these kinds of, and then there's this kind of spirit that it just works with children, and this kind of spirit that just works with women, and this kind of spirit that just works with men, this kind of spirit that lives in the forest, and all these different categories. And this goes on forever. It's like as far back as we can go. In myth and legend, these things existed. These myths and legends and all of this stuff existed, was being talked about, was passed on through the oral tradition. The work gives us an opportunity to gain new meaning from all of this, if we have the courage to face it. The thing about modern man is we don't have a lot of courage. We think we do, and we say we do, but that's all self-love and imagination. The truth is, is that we're no more courageous, in fact, we're a lot less courageous than primitive man was, because all of our things that we have to face are imaginary. They had to face real dangers. All of the dangers that we face, we invented. And we have power over, control over, until we lose control over them. And when we lose control over them, actually what we've actually found out is that we have no control over what we made because what we do is we forget that we made it. That's how we lose control over it. We forget we did this, so we forget we can undo it. And that's our predicament. That's where we are today. All of this that you are suffering from, you did all this. 
but you now have forgotten that you did it. And because you've forgotten it, you think that you're under its control and someone else is making it happen. And that's, in a nutshell, our predicament. It may seem like an oversimplification, but that's only because you don't understand it. If you understood it, you would see that it's very complex, that it involves any number of laws that you are pretty much not aware of. We're under 48 orders of laws. Can you name any of those? (laughs) Yes, you may be able to name a few, but not very many. I doubt you can name 48, let alone 48 orders of laws. How many laws is 48 orders of laws? Well, we don't know. Well, what did Gurdjieff say? Well, I don't know. What did he mean? Well, I think I have an idea of what he meant, but it's not an intellectual idea. It's a broader idea. It's something that is much deeper than the intellect. The work teaches that man is not one, but many, that man has no permanent eye, no real eye, but many different shifting eyes, while he imagines that he's one, and imagines that he's the same all the time. So you notice how much easier it is to talk about he imagines and he, we don't talk about I imagine. I imagine that I have a a real permanent eye. I imagine that this eye, where my identity is now resting, where my attachment now is, I imagine that this is the real eye. So when it changes, I just shift with it. I don't say this is a different eye. I just say this is now me. So now what is this eye? Well, this is me. Well, now how about this? this eye. Well, this is me. This is me being angry. This is me being happy. This is me being depressed. This is me not knowing. But it's all me. It's all I. And this is how we deal with our fragmented personality. We just call all of it I. And what happens when we don't like part of it? We say, well, that person made me do that. So we have a way of disidentifying ourselves from what we don't like by saying that other person made me do it. This is just a reaction to that other person. It's really not my fault. It's really not me. It's really them making me be that way. It's a great act when you consider it. It's an acceptable teaching for people too smart to believe in demons, devils, and evil spirits. That's us, isn't it? We're too smart for that. (laughs) Who's going to believe in that ridiculous nonsense? That's absurd. This is the 21st century for crying out loud, you know. Come on. You can't weigh them. You can't measure them. Nobody sees them. The only people who do are all nuts. Bunch of wacko religious freaks or people who are schizophrenic, multiple personalities out of their gourd, you know. We put them in little places on chemicals and we, you know, shut the doors and lock them in there. So they're wrong. That's all we know. C.S. Lewis wrote in the Screwtape Letters, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So here we have it. You remember the two extremes I said, Hollywood and the Hollywood religions? This is it. Hollywood really disbelieves in them. But they sensationalize it to get us to spend money because that's what they want us to do. They want us to spend money. They want our money. And so if they can get us to be all about it, then they can get our negative emotions churning. Then we'll spend money because we spend money on negative emotions. We love negative emotions. We will go out and spend everything we earn. We'll borrow money to get negative emotions. So, yes, it's, it's true. Whether you want to believe it or not, it's true. So here you have Hollywood that doesn't really believe in all of this nonsense. And modern man, an educated man, doesn't really believe in all this nonsense. And then you have the Hollywood religions that not only believe in it, but have an excessive and unhealthy interest in it. The devil's behind every door. There's a demon over here waiting to get you. And there's this and that. And the devil made me do it. And the devil is this. And the devil is haunting me and hunting me and tempting me and doing all these horrible things to me. And none of it's my fault. It's all the devil. 
So he covers them both. They themselves are equally pleased, meaning the devils are equally pleased by both errors, and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Makes perfect sense. Either end of the pendulum is not where you want to be. Where we want to be is in the middle. But we can't be in the middle because we have no control over our swing. We have no control over ourselves. We swing from one side to the other, and it's just something that just happens. It's just a reaction to life because we don't know who we are, because we're fragmented, and because we can't get inside to see who we are. We don't look inside to see who we are. All of our energy goes out through the five senses and attaches us, glues us to the external world. When you're glued to the external world, whenever the external world changes, you must change too. If you're not glued to the external world, the external world can change all day long and you don't have to change. But when you're glued to it, everything that happens out there affects you in here. That's how it is. So let's just look at some old literature, some old ancient literature. Esoteric literature is, is the best because it gives you a peek into something that could actually benefit you. So I'll be reading this first little bit from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. And they came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. And constantly, night and day, among the tombs and in the mountains, he was crying out and gashing himself with stones. And seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to entreat him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a big herd of swine feeding there on the mountain. And the demons entreated him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. And he gave them permission, and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about two thousand of them, and they were drowned in the sea. And the herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion. And they became frightened. And those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to entreat him to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was entreating him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him, but he said, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. So that's the story. And as usual with all of these stories, they're sensationalized and misunderstood. And the reason they're sensationalized and misunderstood is because we don't take them internally. And when we don't take something internally, we don't get any nourishment, any meaning from it. So let me give you just a physical example. Let's say you go out to dinner and you order this great meal, really wonderful meal and whatever kind of foods you like and you think nourishes your body. You order that meal. And then when it comes and they put it on the table, they give you a knife and a fork, but you say, no, take away the knife and the fork. I don't need that. And they give you a napkin. You know, take away the napkin. You don't need that. And you proceed to get undressed and then smear all of the food all over your body. Well, how much nourishment are you going to get from that? 
you're not going to get much. And that's exactly what we do with this. We smear it all over the outside of us, but we never take it inside. We never eat it. We never digest it. We never take it inside and process it and get the nourishment and the new meaning out of it that can actually do something for us internally. And it's just as insane for us to take all of this literally as it is to take your meal and try and rub it into your body from the outside. You have a mouth. The purpose of that mouth is to put food into it, to begin the digestive process by chewing it, masticating it, mixing your saliva and enzymes with that food, swallowing it, putting it into your stomach, and there heating it and processing it and turning it into something that your body can use. But instead, you take that turkey leg and you rub it on your skin and you're all greasy. And they may help your skin. You know, they may help your skin in some way. If you have dry skin, you know, the grease may help. You know, I know the American Indians used to rub bear grease on themselves and things like that. You know, so there's probably some value in that. But internally, it doesn't do much for you. You could starve to death doing that is my point. And so what I'm saying is, so are you saying that people can starve to death reading the Bible? Yes. I'm saying that most of them are so malnourished that they don't know one page from another because they never get any new meaning from it. What meaning do they have? Well, they have whatever acquired meaning they acquired in whatever church they went to or whatever Sunday school they went to. And what is acquired meaning? It's whatever the Sunday school teacher or the preacher told you. Did you ever realize any of it for yourself? Did you ever eat any of it and get any meaning out of it for yourself? Well, no. Why would I do that? It was already prepared in the kitchen and they came and brought it to me. So all I had to do is just rub it on my body. Yeah, but it's not for your body. It's for your insides. It's for you internally. It's the esoteric essence of it is what nourishes the esoteric part of your being the hidden part of your being. And all of this spiritual stuff is for the hidden part of your being. I don't mean to be putting down churches or religions that do the exoteric thing. Look, you rub food on your body long enough. Sooner or later, some of it's going to get in your mouth. And when it does, you're going to go, whoa, that tastes good. And then you're going to put some more in your mouth. Then you have a chance of getting some nourishment. It could happen. It's possible. It happens. It happened to you. You didn't come from esoteric backgrounds. You came from an exoteric background. Everyone does. Everyone in this world comes to esotericism through the exoteric. They find the door. They find their mouth. That's really the bottom line. Isn't that amazing? You know, you look at kids, they find their mouth. It's the first thing they find because they put everything in their mouth. They find their mouth. Then they, you'll see they find their fist or their foot or something. What do they do with it? Put it in their mouth. It's amazing. You know, everything they find, they put in their mouth because that's really the only thing they know is their mouth. And then we forget that. You know, and then we learn how to dress ourselves and put makeup on and comb our hair and prance around and do all these other things. And we get further and further and further from our insides and further and further out we go, the further we get from inside and the further we get from inside, the the less meaning we have, the less real meaning, the less substance and the further we get from our real self, which is inside. So I do digress, but it's all for a reason. I don't know what the reason is yet, but hopefully if I keep talking, it will come out (laughs) just like the spirit that came out of the spirits that came out of that man. If I keep talking, I'm sure it'll come out. The whole thing is it's interesting because the work says, look, you're not one, but many, many different shifting eyes. We imagine that we're one. We imagine that we're the same all the time, but we're not. And so out of this guy comes a legion. Does anybody know how much elite, how many a legion is? Like about 12,500, I think. It was a legion. There were about 12,000 in a legion. So we're talking 2,000 swine. So there were at least 2,000. 
At least 2,000. That's if one of these spirits went into each one of those pigs. And for all we know, there were 10 went into each pig. We don't know anything about that. It doesn't say anything about that. And not only that, doesn't matter. The point is that you have a lot of different selves in you. And they don't all mean you good. Just in case you hadn't noticed, let's just take a look at this. Let's take a look at this now from a different perspective. Let's try and back away from the religious, from rubbing the food on the outside. <laughs> let's, try to, let's try to back away from the mashed potatoes in our ears and the peas in our hair, and let's try and look at this in another way. They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. Well, what country is that? Well, it's the other side of the sea. Well, what's the other side of the sea? It's the other side of the sea. What's the other side of you? Well, I don't know. I've never been there. Right. This is not something we know a lot about. We don't know a lot about the other side of the sea. We don't know what's on the inside of us, do we? That's the other side of the sea, what's inside of us. We don't know much about that because we spend all of our time out here in this world looking through the five senses, experiencing through the five senses. And when he came out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. (laughs) And this is why we don't go inside. Because as soon as we get out of the boat, if you remember Apocalypse Now, the cook, the chef, who was on the boat, whether going up river or down river, wherever they were going to do this mission, this black op that this guy, Martin Sheen, was supposed to be doing, he got out of the boat to go look for some mangoes. He was going to make a nice mango sauce. He was a chef from Louisiana, a saucier. But he got in the Navy somehow because he thought, well, that was the best place. They had good food in the Navy, so he figured he could be a chef in the Navy. Anyway, they go walking through the jungle there, and and they ran into a tiger because they have tigers in the jungle there. And it scared him, and he ran back to the boat. Stay in the boat. Stay in the boat. Don't ever get out of the boat. Hey, we'll go. I'll go anywhere with you. Just don't get out of the boat. Don't. He'd never wanted to see another tiger. He was so scared. So that's what happens when you get out of the boat. You see, you get out of the boat. What's the boat? The boat of your life. You know, what is your life? Your life is the external world. You get out of that boat and into my boat, and all of a sudden you're in different territory. It's like, what's this guy talking about? And then what do you find in there? Well, you find unpleasant things. You find dead things. You find tombs. What are tombs? Tombs are where we put dead people. If we no longer have a use for it, we put it in there. And we don't like dead people, just in case you didn't notice. We don't like dead people. Back in the early days, what did they do with dead people? They dig a hole and they put them in the hole and then they put rocks on the hole, put a bunch of big pile of rocks on it. Well, they did that for a monument. No, they didn't. They did that to make sure that the dead person didn't get up at night and come and get them. That's why they did that. Well, why didn't they just leave them out there? Well, because they didn't, because they were afraid that their enemy might come back and get them or whatever. That's my theory. Is it true? I don't know. Think about it. Come up with your own theory. The reason we don't go inside is because we're infested with unpleasant acquired eyes that delight in saying and doing unpleasant things. And it conflicts radically with our wonderful pictures of ourselves and with what we're telling the world that we really are. You inside, what goes on inside of you, you don't talk about. You only talk about the nice thing. You don't talk about the other stuff. Why is that? Because it doesn't match the pictures that you want other people to have of you. It doesn't match your image, your imaginary I. This I that you like to think that you are, that you're not really. This partial I, this partial picture of yourself, this snapshot of yourself. Ever notice that you have snapshots of yourself? You have these little pictures of yourself that are always very glorious and wonderful. It's like Patty was hiking last week, and she was hiking like she was a 20-year-old. And how old are you, Pat? 54. But she's really a 54-year-old, but she doesn't like that, and she doesn't have an image of herself as a 54-year-old. She has an image of herself as a 20-year-old or somewhere thereabouts. 
about. So I don't know whenever women hit their physical peak where they're the most beautiful and the most attractive and the most sexually appealing and the most wonderful. That is where they take their pictures. And those are the only pictures they take. And they don't, they just keep on restoring those pictures. They don't add pictures to it that make them look any other way. Men have a different age. They do the same thing. They have a different age where they do the same thing. They have those pictures. And maybe they add to those pictures when they have more wealth. So man's picture is often his body, but then later it'll be his bank account, his car, his possessions, his power, his prowess, his this, his that. You know, so the prowess shifts, whereas women it doesn't shift so much. With men, it can shift from the physical to the financial. With women, not so much. Pretty much stays with the physical. They're pretty trapped there. And so that's why you see more women getting surgeries, look good surgeries and lifts and puffs and, you know, stuff. Now, you'll see guys do that too, but what are those guys dependent upon? Well, they're dependent upon their looks in Hollywood. You know, they're dependent upon that. They have to keep on looking like a leading man or they have to keep on looking young or they have to keep on so they can keep getting money, so they can keep getting parts. So they will alter themselves in that way. But mostly you'll see that, unfortunately, it's women who do that. And it's because they're pretty much stuck with the physical thing. And so, you know, this is not a judgment. It's just an observation. Please don't be annoyed if you're a woman and you feel judged. I'm not judging you. You're judging yourself. And um, you're fine with me. I don't care how you look because I don't even know you. I don't even see you. You know, you're just someone who's listening to me. So how could it possibly matter to me? So think about it. If you're upset, think about why you're upset. There's nothing whatever to do with me. It has to do with what you're taking inside from what I'm saying and what you don't like about it. Anyway, Reese Nicole said, to understand that you all have in yourselves eyes that wish evil to you is odd. You can begin to see this as a fact when you try to do this work. Then, eyes that know that they can no longer grip you and maintain their evil hold over you begin to exert all the power that belongs to the negative part of emotional center, which opens on to a lower world than that on which we live. This is really what the work teaches. Really does teach that you have inside of you evil eyes that wish you no good whatsoever, that hate you with a hatred that you can't even imagine, that loathe you and hate you and want your destruction more than you can imagine, as much as you wish the destruction of the most loathsome person that you have ever encountered. And because you have pictures of yourself that won't let you see how much you really hate that person, you can't really see how much these eyes hate you. This is the truth. We don't like the truth, so we don't go inside. We don't get out of the boat. We don't cross the, sh- the sea to the other shore. We don't do that. Why? Because there are all these tombs and all these things buried there, all these nasty things buried there that we don't want anything to do with. Now, what, what are these nasty things doing? Well, this, this, is, this is poor guy. He's crying out all the time. And he's gashing himself with stones. Well, whatever is inside of him hates him that is gashing him with stones and tormenting him so that he's crying out all the time. The thing that you don't know is that you are that person, that your life looks like that from higher up. From a perspective other than yours, that's what you look like. You look like somebody who's roaming around in the tombs, crying out and gashing yourself with stones. We used to have someone here whose mother used to hold her hands when she was a kid, hold her hands and slap her face. And she says, why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? And see, there's nobody holding your hands. (laughs) You're just hitting yourself, but you don't know it. You think someone else is hitting you, but it's you doing it to yourself. From higher up, that's easy to see. But from down here where we are, it's not so easy to see. It really does look like other people are doing it to us. 
I just like to give you these different perspectives because it makes your face look so funny when I tell you these things. You should see. I just love the looks on your face. It's like a little like interested and a little scared and a little disbelieving all at the same time. And there's also a little light. Like, oh my God, I think this is true. These are all wonderful things to see in people's faces from my perspective. So now I have one more little story to read you from, this one will come from Matthew chapter 12, and it's a short one, so it's only three verses, 43 through 45, but it's good. I like it. Now, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. Waterless places. What's a waterless place? Now think esoterically. What's a, a place without truth? That's right. Water is the second level of truth. Stone is the first level of truth. Water is the second level of truth. The best truth, the most intoxicating truth, is the wine. We hardly ever get even a drop of that. And it's usually mixed with so much water, and the cup is so thick that we usually break our teeth when we go to drink it. We knock our teeth with the cup. Oh, I'm not doing that again. Stone cup. Exactly. You got it. Exactly. So I want you to start to think like this. So you need to start to think like this. You have to begin to see things in an internal way. You can't constantly look out there. What's a waterless place, a desert, a wilderness? Yes, that's all true out there. But in here is where this story takes place. In here is what this is about. This is about inside of you. The waterless place is a place without truth. Do you have any places inside of you without truth? <laughs> yeah. Are there any dark places inside of you? Yeah. Are there any places where there are tombs inside of you? Oh, yeah. You got any dead bodies buried in there? You got any skeletons in your closet? Oh, yeah. You got anything you don't want written on the front page of the newspaper about you? Oh, yeah. You do anything today you don't want anybody to know about? I watched that thing, a house. They had a house marathon the other day. And I like house. And um, they had this girl in there who blogs everything. And her big fight with her boyfriend is he blogs. Every time she fights with him or every time there's anything going on, every time they have sex or whatever, she blogs about it and tells the whole world about it. And he doesn't like the whole world knowing his personal business. And she, of course, she's in control of what she blogs, so she thinks there's nothing wrong with it. And he's not in control of it and he thinks there's plenty wrong with it. It's just like when somebody talks about you. You ever notice how irritating that is to you? You can say the same thing, but you present it in a way that makes you look good. But when somebody else says it, they aren't concerned with how good you look. They're just telling the story. And you hate that. Because if you're going to tell the story, the story has to be from my perspective and you have to make me look good. Or you're criticizing me and I'll kill you. That's how we feel. You'll probably not admit that, but you do kill them internally. You kill them. You hate them. You kill them. You slander them. You think mean thoughts about them. You have bad images about them. You wish bad things on them. And you have negative emotions toward them. That is murder internally. That's what that is. That's why this esoteric book says, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. So internally, you're a murderer, because that's really the power. The powerful world is the internal world, not the external world. Anyway, that's the story that I wanted to share with you. To return to modern reality, and I put that in quotes, recall an argument in which you heard coming out of your mouth terrible things that you couldn't stop. 
Uh-huh. You got one? You remember one? No, you probably don't remember it too much, but you remember that you have done that. You remember the experience of being in an argument and having things come out of your mouth and then as fast as you can trying to justify them. Well, they deserve that or, well, that's true. It's the truth, isn't it? All that other stuff. And you were justifying them because you knew that these were terrible things coming out of your mouth and you didn't want them coming out of your mouth, but you couldn't stop it, so you justified it instead. You with me? Okay, good. I love it when you're with me. I really do. Because it makes my job so much easier. What is my job? I'd like to get these ideas across to you so that they're meaningful, so that you get some new meaning from these ideas, and so that your life, your being, your level of being begins to be altered, so that your being begins to change. It's the purpose of this work. That's why we're here. We're not here to hear what I have to say. I don't have anything to say. I literally have nothing to say. What I have to say is the same thing as what everybody else has to say. It's pointless. The truth is the only thing that's important. And there is truth in this. And we need to get it out of the container that it's in, eat it, chew it up, mix our enzymes with it, get it inside so that we can digest it and it can begin to nourish our internal body, our essential self, what's real of us, what is not artificial, what is not painted on, slapped on, glued on, screwed on, tied on, rigged on somehow by the outside, by how we grew up or our education or whatever. What we must realize is this you, the things that you heard coming out of your mouth that you could not stop, this you is imaginary. This work calls that beginning to awaken. When you realize that that you is imaginary, you are beginning to awaken. It's like the email that I read you this morning where the woman realized, oh my God, that's me. I'm the one who gets impatient with other people when they don't get it because that makes me intellectually superior. That's me. That has nothing to do with those other people. That's just me using that as an excuse to lord it over them, to feel better than them, to feel superior to them. Yes, that's right. That's right. That's a wonderful thing to realize. It didn't feel so wonderful. (laughs) Well, that's because the you that you were calling you is imaginary and you don't know that yet. You're still identified with that person who does that. You're still identified with that I that does that. (laughs) You still haven't been able to get them into the swine. They're still in you. You're still calling them I. Yep, the work calls that beginning to awaken. Awaken from what? Awaken from our mechanical reactions to life. Awakening to the eyes taking possession of us at the moment. You see, these eyes take possession of you. That's how come these things are coming out of your mouth that you can't stop because an eye has possessed you. Well, what is that eye? That eye is just uh, was kind of like this, this idea, oh no, it's a real person. We can't get that. You see, our minds go tilt. It can't be. How can a real person be inside of me? (laughs) Oh, there are lots of real people inside of you. You can't do because there is no you to do. Something else that is not you has taken possession of you and does. Oh, goody. It's not our fault. That's the good news, right? We're not responsible. Prisons are full of people who didn't do it. So don't get too excited. And because we don't understand it, what do we do? We say it's not real. In the primitive cultures, it went to superstition. In our culture, it goes to disbelief. We don't believe it. It's just not possible, so it didn't happen. These people are crazy. That's all. These people who think they saw that are crazy. They're exaggerating, blah, blah, blah. We have all of these logical, reasonable, because this is the age of reason, we all have these reasonable explanations for it. That's where we're at. Back to C.S. Lewis's thing that he wrote. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. 
They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or magician with the same delight. So what does that make us? Well, it makes us materialists, just in case you didn't know what we are. We're materialists. A materialist is someone who believes only in a material world. And if you don't think you're a materialist, let me have your stuff. There you go. You'll guard your stuff with your very life. That's a materialist. When you're angry, when you're suspicious, when you're having any of those negative emotions, do you descend into a lower world than that on which you were born? You bet you do. Now, there's only two kinds of people. They're the kind of people who know that about themselves and can admit it because they've seen it, and the kind of people who don't have a clue. If you can see that about yourself, you have observed yourself, you've seen that, like, yeah, absolutely, I enter a lower world. Yes, I do. That is exactly what Maurice Nicole was saying when he said that they exert all the power that belongs to the negative part of emotional center which opens on to a lower world than that on which we live. This is the truth, but we don't like it and we are not familiar with it because we will not go across the shore, get out of the boat and walk around in the graveyard where all the tombs are because we're afraid. And what are we afraid of? We're afraid of what's there. That's what we're afraid of. That's why we buried it there. That's why it's called the dark side of us. Now, this is the good news and the bad news. We can be worse or we can be better. There is a part of us that opens onto a lower world than the world into which we were born. There's also a part of us that opens onto a higher world than the world onto which we were born. So it's good news and bad news. Maurice Nicole said, You have in you deadly eyes that seek to destroy you. I say you also have sublime eyes that wish to raise you up to your rightful level of being. Remember, you have the right not to be negative. And what that means is you have the right to be free from these deadly eyes. You have that right. You don't exercise it because you can't at this point. But if you will continue to do what this work tells you to do, you can develop the ability to exercise your right. Let's say that you're born into a family of wealth, unbelievable wealth, so that there's nothing that you could not have. You could buy anything. And so let's say that when you're born, by right of your birth, $200 billion is yours at the moment of birth. And it's all set. And there's an account. What good is that account to an infant? Well, it's no good at all because there's nothing you can do about it because you haven't developed anything. And this is what it's like for us. It's like, yeah, you've got this right not to be negative. But because you're an infant in this world, you have no ability to exercise that right. What this work is trying to help you do is mature to the point where you can exercise your right before you lose all memory of it. Our condition is such that these negative eyes can only be corrected by use of intellectual center. We begin cleansing the emotional center by the right use of the intellectual center. If you find all this strange, everything that I've been talking about this morning, this whole idea of possession, there's a reason for that. (laughs) It's because you're stuck on the idea that you are one person all the time and you haven't yet seen your staggering multiplicity. You haven't yet seen that you could indeed be called legion because inside of you there are so many. And if you haven't seen that or if you've only glimpsed it and then you've gone away from that and returned to the world of everybody else and forgotten it, then you remember it when I say something. You remember it when I bring it up. And this is what the work is about. This work is about you remembering yourself, remembering this thing that you became aware of, remembering the peak, the glimpse that you got inside of yourself when you looked in there and you saw some of these things that I'm talking about. And it's about reminding you about that so that you can remember that, so that you can get back on track. And that's really what we do here in these meetings. That's really what we do here with these podcasts. 
If people hear this enough, eventually something is going to happen. If they let this in enough, like I said, if you smear enough food on the outside of your body, eventually some of it's going to get in your mouth. And when it does, you're going to go, oh, that tastes good and swallow it and you'll be nourished. Now, it may not be much, but you'll start to put more food in your mouth once you begin to see that it strengthens you and nourishes you in an important way. When we begin to observe ourselves properly as directed by those who have already awakened, we begin to detect our artificiality. We start to notice, basically, our false personality. We actually start to notice it. We start to notice, you just lied. You're posing. You're, you're afraid to let that person know what you really think. We start to notice those things. Whereas before, we were those things. We didn't notice them at all. But we begin slowly to awaken and notice those things. The problem is the eyes are very clever. And us? Well, not so much. <laughs> This is just the fact. This is just the truth. These eyes are very, very clever. And we're in this stupor. We're not so clever. We're not so bright. We really are not when it comes to these eyes. And we're really not when it comes to ourselves. We're amazingly stupid when it comes to ourselves. We're clever about other people. But when it comes to ourselves, we don't know much. They say, I don't think I'm making any progress. And we fold under their simple hypnotism. How many times have they said, I'm not getting it. I'm not making enough progress. I'm not doing this. I'm not going far enough. I'm not going fast enough. How many times have they said, and what do you do? You get depressed. You get discouraged. You fold under their simple hypnotism. All they have to do is just make this suggestion. I don't think you're really making that much progress. (laughs) I might as well just throw in the towel. This work doesn't work. He's the worst teacher. I need a new teacher. I'm not making enough progress. We fold. All they have to do is make a suggestion. Our first line of work is so simple, it's easily overlooked. Here it is. Are you ready? Here comes our first line of work. Don't go with those eyes. I know. It's so simple, and you've heard it so many times, and it's like, when am I going to get it? Well, I got it now. I got it now. Yeah, but you lose it. When? Well, as soon as you grab something else. And what is it you grab? Something out there. Don't go with them. Don't believe them. Don't identify with them. Don't listen to them. And above all, don't argue with them. What do you mean don't argue with them? Don't argue with them. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the road with them. Don't argue with them. Don't connect with them. Don't give them anything. Nothing. Not even the benefit of an argument. Not even the benefit of a second thought. Give them nothing. If we do, we allow them to come and go as they please, bringing seven others back with them, making our condition worse. We are very weak inside, and that's why we're so easily discouraged and depressed. If we can connect with something higher, a great influx of strength can flow into us. You know this is true. You have had this experience. You have been absolutely uplifted by connecting to something higher. You have been empowered psychologically, spiritually, emotionally empowered to rise above things that usually would would drag you off. But you have been empowered to resist them, to just laugh at them, to say no to them and to scatter them with a word, with a look. And yeah, and then there's the rest of the time. (laughs) But you know what it means to connect with something higher and have that influx of strength. These eyes that hate you, hate your development. You must see for yourself you have eyes in you that only want to destroy your happiness by making you negative. But you don't see that. What you see is that there are people out there who want to destroy your happiness and make you negative. You don't see that it's the eyes inside doing it and blaming the people out there. If you could see it, you'd stop blaming people out there. You'd stop fighting with people out there. You'd stop disliking people out there. You'd stop liking people out there. They would just be people out there.
but now they're not. Now they're meaningful people out there, one way or the other, one side of the pendulum and the other. Our major blunder is thinking they are outside of us in the form of people when they're in us just in the same way that the kingdom of heaven is in us. External considering can rescue you. The shift must occur in us if we're to allow our rescue. So what is the shift that has to occur in us if we're to allow our rescue? We have to stop thinking how other people are behaving toward us and begin to think about how we're behaving toward them. It's just a simple shift. You see, it's not very much, is it? That's that's pretty easy. Right. (laughs) Try doing it. Yes, it's easy to talk about. It's easy for me to say to you. This is the simple shift that has to occur. This is the movement in the violin case. You can only move a little tiny bit in this violin case, but that's all it takes. If you can shift from what they're thinking and saying about me and how they're behaving toward me to how I'm behaving toward them. If you can shift your focus to that, how am I treating them instead of how are they treating me? You will be on the way. You will be on the way to connecting to something higher and an influx of strength will begin to flow into you. And it will give you the power to rise above things that you never could rise above before, that got you every time. If you can go with better eyes, they will take you to higher levels of being inside of you. Places you may have only dreamed about can be your ordinary states. If you can make this simple shift from what are they thinking about me, how are they behaving toward me, what are they doing to me, to what am I doing to them. Just that. So that's what I want you to work on. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.